across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, uh, here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. Not quite at the brink, but very close to it. The ridiculous shenanigans from yesterday's session in Parliament where Boris Johnson asked for a third time for an election have now squeezed everyone into a cul-de-sac of inaction. But perhaps eventual compromise. The Lib Dems want an election as long as Parliament is shut down immediately, therefore eliminating the chance of a no-deal Brexit on Thursday. The SNP are now referring to the Prime Minister as a dangerous vulture that must be kept in a cage. The Labour Party wish it would all go away so that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't have to make any actual decisions. And everyone else outside the Westminster bubble is thoroughly fed up with every single one of them. Today, we may well end up with an election date, but will it be December the 9th, December the 10th? December the 11th, December the 12th, or even Friday the 13th, which might be a very apt day to do it, of course. We'll bring you every twist and turn as it happens live today, and we'll be taking your calls as well, because you are actually the people who matter, the real voters, the people who voted to leave the European Union. Remember that? All those years ago, 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be taking a look at the Grenfell report. We'll be finding out whether Elton John will be carbon offsetting Prince Harry's latest jaunt to Japan for the Rugby World Cup final this weekend. And we'll be exploring the notion of narcissism and why narcissists are so happy. I'll be telling you exactly why very shortly. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, you know when things are getting desperate for the old Ramonas when you start seeing people on Twitter saying that uh, basically anyone uh, who voted to leave the European Union should not be wearing a poppy for Remembrance Sunday. One of the most ridiculous and quite frankly vile things that anybody has ever said. But there's a lot of them saying it and we will be addressing that a little bit later on as well. Let's though first talk to Stuart Jackson, uh, former Tory MP and former Special Advisor of course for David Davis as well, the Brexit Secretary. Stuart, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Now, I know we've been here before, on the brink, but not quite on the brink. You know, at the at the, at the point where we might be uh, getting an election, or we might not be getting an election. Today kind of is do or die, if you like. Uh, do we get an election? Do we just carry on looking at the Brexit withdrawal bill? Well, I actually think all the opposition parties are going to vote for an election, bizarrely, yeah. for different reasons. I think the Liberal Democrats are a bit like, do you remember Betamax? Yes. You know, if, if they don't get Bre- if Brexit happens, they're finished. They're they're extinct. They've got no policies apart from Brexit, so they actually have to vote for an election. It's their last shot in the locker because they're not going to get a second referendum and they're not going to get revocation of Article 50. So they're desperate for an election. The SNP have a very nasty polit- political issue in Scotland in January, potentially with Alex Salmon going on trial and washing the dirty linen potentially for the SNP. So they also look at the polls and think that looks good for them. They could win over a few seats. I'm not sure that will happen. And the Labour Party, potentially, if they vote against it today, but it happens anyway, they look really cowardly. They look like chlorinated chickens. And therefore, (laughs) I think that they will eventually vote for it. And therefore, we're going to the polls either on the 9th or the 12th. And I think a lot of people are saying we didn't want an election, but we absolutely have it. have to have it to clear out this broken, discredited parliament. 
Well, I mean, the, the, the significance, of course, of the ninth or the twelfth is all about this week, isn't it? Because if the if, if they go if, if Boris goes with the ninth, uh, then basically it means that Parliament is more or less shut down, doesn't it? Yes, uh, I mean, it's, it, the, the the proposal is that the House will dissolve uh, on next Wednesday, a week tomorrow, but they'll have to do what you call wash up, which is get some key bills through. There's not that many. The, the only one I think they should get through is the domestic abuse bill into law and obviously they've got to elect the speaker to to have someone with dignity and decorum and integrity and impartiality i.e not burko uh elected next monday so they've still got a little bit of business but i think you know it shows you how pathetic corbyn's arguments are the difference between an election on the 12th and the election of the 9th in terms of darkness is one minute darker on the 12th than the 9th <laughs> you know, this is a country that got through the Blitz and the First World War and all the rest of it. Apparently can't, and millions of people get up in the morning to go to work in the dark, but apparently we can't walk 10 minutes to the Well, I've never heard anything so ridiculous. And also, I put out a tweet a little bit earlier this morning, you know, Joe Swinson sort of hanging her hat on the student vote, which is pretty ironic considering what Nick Clegg did to them the last time he promised them that he'd get rid of their tuition fees. And what makes her think that a load of students are actually going to trust the Liberal Democrats? Well, obviously, they all fell for the magic... Uh, Grandpa Act last time, the allure of Corbyn, that he looked and sounded fresh, yeah. even though we know it's reheated Marxist nonsense from 1982, but he looked fresh in 2017. I think the Remain vote will be essentially split. Yeah. The Greens are much more in contention this time. The Liberal Democrats have got their tails up, although I do think they're going to win three dozen cents max. And the Labour Party, of course, have tanked in the polls since 2017 and they won't get such a big student vote. So I think to, for all of those three opposition parties to put everything on student vote as if, you know, students are going to sweep the board and, and affect the election. They're not, basically. Yeah, also, why did we, you know, when did we suddenly start setting up elections for students? You know, the most useless, lazy, ghastly, horrendous group of people uh, who are the least motivated to do anything in life apart from sleep late, drink a load of cider uh, and have sex with each other. Yeah, well, uh, what's the downside, Mike, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe things have changed a bit since I was at college, but you know what I mean? You know, this idea that these people who have spent the best part of the last three years, you know, filibustering, stopping Brexit, now at least they've come out and admitted that that's what they want to do. But Jeremy Corbyn now looks like the world's worst political leader, uh, and that includes an awful lot of very bad political leaders, even in the Labour Party. Well, I think I used to believe that it was only in banana republics in Central America that you fiddled the franchise and you gerrymandered the electorate to make sure that people you uh, wanted to vote voted and those you didn't want to vote stayed at home. And now, obviously, it's the official policy of the Liberal Democrats and the Labour Party. We can't have an election till we've changed the electorate. It, it just stinks, and it, it's further evidence of the fact that this Parliament is decrepit, it's rotten, and we need a new set of legislators in Parliament after a general election. Yeah, absolutely right. So, I mean, as far as Downing Street is concerned, they would consider today to be potentially quite a big victory, wouldn't they? Well, I think they would have preferred to have got the withdrawal agreement bill through and then gone to the country with a decent deal, which is basically supported by a, a, a plurality of electors, uh, to, to move on to other things like the health service, transport, schools, policing. But that hasn't proved possible because, as we predicted months ago, the Benat cut the legs from under the Prime Minister in terms of his negotiation. Um, it's, it's 
subjugation and capitulation, basically begging the EU for an extension. Quite pathetic, actually. But that's what the Remainers have done to our country. Yes. That hasn't proved possible to get out with a deal. And therefore, the last shot in the locker is a general election. And I firmly believe that if the message is, let's get this done, let's get the Brexit nightmare finished, let's get a uh, legislation in place, I think Boris has a reasonable chance of getting a solid majority. And what happens to the withdrawal bill? Does the withdrawal bill sort of die off and it has to be reignited or re-brought back to life, or does a new one have to be uh, somehow formed? Well, every bill dies at the dissolution of the Parliament, yeah. so it's like corrugation, uh, a, a final corrugation. And obviously, there's a very old convention that no Parliament can bind its successor. But it is nevertheless an international treaty obligation that the UK has acceded to and therefore it will need to put legislation domestic legislation in place after a general election in order for uh, it to be recognized as having duly ratified the treaty agreement so yes there will have to be a new bill but presumably with a conservative majority uh, and, the, and the lords accepting that the conservative party has a mandate from a general election agreeing it to go through i think therefore it will uh, be on the statute book uh, within the next three months, one but, but will it have to face this sort of endless amendmentizing and kind of scrutiny, as they like to call the delay, um, whether or not there is a big majority? Because clearly that's what the Remainers will want to do. They'll want to continue to block and continue to delay and frustrate uh, the government's plan to leave. I don't think so. And I think that's why Joe Swinton and Ian Blackford have finally come round to the view that... Um, they can't realistically amend it to death, not least because the EU will say, why have you put a customs union amendment in? Because we didn't agree that. You know, they have agreed something that the UK Parliament has to give effect to in domestic legislation. Right. You can't keep going back for years and years, changing the deal you agreed, uh, Boris agreed a few weeks ago. And therefore, I think the last throw of the dice for them is a general election. What they're hoping for is a hung parliament God forbid, yeah. uh, that, that they then would say, look, Brexit's done and dusted, the people have killed it off, end of story. Now, yeah. I think that would have massive problems, but I, I think the, the present situation is we will have new legislation after the general election, and my, my belief is it will go through and we will leave the European Union finally on the 31st of January okay. 2020. Say, for example, the date is the 9th or, or the 12th, either or. Uh, presumably, we shut down Parliament almost immediately. When does the new session start? Would it be the beginning of January? Well, if it was the 12th, which is a Thursday, uh, in theory, the Parliament would come back the following Monday, which okay. is what, the 15th. Right. And therefore would sit for two or three days, uh, re-elect the Speaker in the new House, because um, the Speaker will be probably elected next Monday, but will need to be re-elected by the new Parliament. Right. And, and then they will have to agree a programme motion, I would think. They would publish the withdrawal bill, give it probably a foot, what they call a first reading, which is publication, mm. and then set out a programme for as soon as Parliament comes back, 5th, 6th, 7th of January. And right. then you would essentially have about two weeks to get it through before it goes back to the EU to be formally ratified mm. by their parliament. OK. And the big worry for Tories, of course, is the Brexit party, because, albeit, as you said at the start of this uh, conversation, they'd rather have gone for an election after leaving the European Union. Now that we ha are more than likely having one before we've left, the Brexit party could be a problem. 
It could be, but if you look at the polls, Mike, you know, 67% of Brexit Party supporters have said that they support Boris's deal. Mm. 73% of Leave voters have said that. And I think the existential issue when they come to vote in their constituencies is, are we going to say we're really angry about still being in the EU, we're going to vote Brexit Party, which might get 10%, and let Labour slip through by 5%? Or are they going to say, actually, we're going to vote for the party most likely to deliver Brexit? We might not like the Tories, but we're going to lend them the vote to get the job done. And I, my instinct is the most Brexit supporters, party supporters will actually do that. Yes, I think you may well be right. But what will their position be, though? Because they could continue with their line that this is not really Brexit, uh, apart from Brexit in name only, which is kind of what they've been saying, that, you know, they'd rather have no deal. I mean, is no deal now completely and utterly just, uh, you know, consigned to history? Well, technically, of course, when the bill comes back, and if it is unamended, at the end of the transition period or the implementation uh, phase, which will be the end of 2020... Um, there is an expectation that we will have a fully worked up Canada Plus style uh, free trade deal with the EU. But if that is not possible, then it's, it's feasible that there could be a no deal. But I think it's highly unlikely. I think in that case, you know, the Brexit party would be campaigning for what they call a clean break. I don't think it's going to be feasible in a year's time if we have a solitary majority and we're out of the EU. It's going to be difficult for the Brexit party to summon up the energy and the money and the campaigning Elan to to argue against something that's already happened. I mean, their raise on death rates to get us out of the EU. If we're out of the EU, it's going to be difficult for them to be arguing the case, I would have thought. Yeah, I would have thought so. And also in the letter that Boris sent yesterday to Donald Tusk of the European Union, he asked for there not to be any further uh, extensions granted. Do you think they'll go with that? Do you think they'll stick with that? Or will they try to kind of uh, finesse something else? Well, there's two issues for the EU that is a problem for them. It's the closer we get to June 2020. In June 2020, we uh, go into a, a process of what they call the multi-annual financial framework, where they have to sort out the three years funding of the EU. They don't want us hanging around there because we could veto it. Uh, we could be very difficult with funding if we were still members, God forbid, in June 2020. Also, there's the appointment of a commissioner, Boris has said he doesn't want to appoint a commissioner. In law, we have to appoint a commissioner if we're a fully functioning member of the European Union. I think they just want to get rid of us. Macron in particular sees us as a drag anchor, which is holding back his plans for integration. So I'd be astonished if we were in the EU past February the 1st next year, one right. way or the other. And, then, want and then, of course, we're told uh, at, the, at the moment that happens, we'll be back the next day uh, negotiating the new trade deal. Yeah, most likely, but legally we'll be a third country. Legally, we will have uh, the right to decide, that, for instance, a common fisheries policy, uh, a fisheries policy which is not, uh, which is outside the common fisheries policy, will be a, an independent maritime nation for the first time since 1973. Will be outside the single market, outside the customs union. So I think yes, we'll be like Canada, we'll be like Singapore, we'll be like Japan. We'll be making a deal with the EU with the proviso that we are fully compliant with all their regulations at the moment. So a deal should be quite easy. This nonsense that Remainers say that it's a cliff edge that we're falling off, it's a baby step down. 
what it is, it's about diverging in the British national interest. It's not about setting our face against the EU for the sake of it. No, of course. And I get some calls here still at the moment, Stuart, from people who say, who say they're not happy. Brexit party supporters who say this is not really as strong a Brexit as we would like. What would you say to them? I think politics is the art of the possible, to use the cliche, and it has not proved possible because a lot of Labour MPs in particular lied to their constituents in, in June 2017 and said that they would respect and enact the referendum when they had no intention of doing so, and they have willfully refused to allow the UK to leave, either on a clean break or with a deal. And, we, and Boris, I think, has heroically tried to pull the situation back. He was told he wouldn't get a deal. He was told we couldn't reopen the withdrawal agreement and the Northern Ireland Protocol. He did all those things. And I think on that basis, the British people are fair-minded. They are going to give him a chance. Now, if we're in the EU in a year's time, that is a whole different ball game, and then anything could happen. Absolutely right. And just to end on uh, the subject of uh, how difficult it's been to have elections at tricky times uh, of our history, apparently there were several by-elections held actually during World War II, according to Mike, who sent me this. Uh, 1939, there were three of them. 1940, there were two. 1941, there were two. Uh, 1943, there were two. Uh, and so you have to say, I think we could probably manage one in December. Well, we had rationing. We were being bombed by the Luftwaffe. <laughs> we had the Blitz. We just lost El Alamein. Yeah. Uh, we still managed to get along to the church hall to uh, exercise our democracy as, uh, and the mother of parliaments. This idea that people are going to be terrified of voting because uh, it might be a bit dark. Uh, and actually, <laughs> it's nonsense anyway, because... If you look at the last four general elections held in winter, all of them had turnouts, electoral turnouts, higher than in 2015 or 2017. I know. It's, just, it's a straw man argument. It's nonsense. It absolutely People is. People will vote if it matters. Yeah, of course they will. Thanks very much indeed. Stuart Jackson there, former Tory MP, uh, former Special Advisor, of course, with David Davies as well. We want to hear from you, though. 0344 499 1000. I'm telling you right now, it looks like we're going to have an election in December. We don't absolutely know for sure whether it's going to be the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th or the 13th. But I think maybe by the end of the day today, we'll actually have an election and we will actually be able to move forward and we will actually be able to get a decent Tory majority in Parliament. And then... We will leave the European Union before the end of January next year. Happy? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Very warm welcome to the Independent Republic, Jeff. You probably get sick to death of being welcomed as the only right-wing comedian in Britain, which I'm sure you're not, but you're the I'm best not. known, aren't you? There's me, there's four of us, I right. think. So the Christmas, part, <laughs> that Christmas, many. Christmas party's coming up. It'll be just be... It'll, we don't. We won't have to book a room, right. let's be honest. But, you, uh, you just have to share it all around, I suppose. Well, there, 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 there's a few of us now, and it's a growing thing. At the right. Edinburgh Fringe this year, there was a few, but it's certainly in a massive minority. Yeah, I mean, They're it's all surprising. Lib Dems now, comedians. That's the thing, is they, yeah. they like to associate with the left and Labour, because that's... That's still the cool thing. But intrinsically, a lot of them are Lib Dems, aren't yeah. they? That's the problem, isn't it? Because there's so much fun to be had at the expense of these kind of, you know, virtue signalling yeah. types from, from the left that surely you'd want to be on the opposite side of that, wouldn't well, you? Well, tell me about it. I mean, people say to me, oh, you know, when I first started talking about these subjects, people say, oh, isn't that hard? Isn't that difficult? Mm. I think no, that's, that's where the low-hanging fruit is, right. you know. And you've got all these subjects that, that sometimes go begging. I mean, it'd be, it'd be a shame as a political satirist to have not had something to say about the Corbyn administration. No. And also, there comes a point, does there not, when you, if you're making jokes about Donald Trump and Boris mm. Johnson all the time, yeah. it's, a bit of an, it's a bit of an easy shot, isn't it? Also, they're sort of slightly beyond parody in, yeah. in the way that they act. So I quite I quite like looking at, you know, people that are, are, are cause celebrities, people mm. like 
Keir Starmer. I'm quite excited about yes. getting my getting my teeth into him because he, you know, he he's done well with you know he gets away with a lot. Keir Starmer, mm. but what he's never admitted is that he would never back any Brexit of any kind. And right. I was sort of thinking he's like you know on location, location, yes. location. One of those husbands who pretends that he's going to buy a house, right. but just dismisses just every single. Because no. really, he wants to live with his mum. But that's you know? what Jeremy Corbyn's like as well. Jeremy Corbyn has about yeah. 58 different personalities, and we don't really know what the real one is. We suspect that it's a kind of Trotskyite, yeah. you know, troglodyte, likes to go to East Germany on a moped, you know, and hangs about with people that uh, think exactly like he does, and he's quite friendly to terrorists. But that's about... It's quite funny, a kind of a parody, though, isn't it? Well, him, him and McDonnell as well. I think yeah. McDonnell's going to take a leading role in this election coming up. And I just look at John. I don't know if he's going to be able to control his temper yeah. for the campaign. He looks like he's about to lamp somebody <laughs> at does. any second, doesn't he? Didn't he didn't like it when, uh, when Boris Johnson accused him of being too far left-wing for Ken Livingston. Do you remember? He nearly stormed out of the chamber. <laughs> well, he look, you know, with John, he just looks like one of those blokes that you suspect had, you know, was involved in football hooliganism once upon yes. a time. I'm not saying he definitely did, but no. he's got that angry... Uh-huh. There, there's tattoos underneath that blazer. Right. I mean, I remember I used to work with Peter Hitchens many years ago, who's also quite a funny guy, even though he doesn't mean to be. Mm. Um, <laughs> and he used to follow Jerry Adams around, and he said he used to just stare at... Adams used to just stare at him in a really yeah. kind of creepy, scary way. And he didn't have to say anything, but P- Peter Hitchens was always expecting, you know, a bomb at the front of his house one morning going out, or, you know, somebody beating him up on the way home. He just said it was quite menacing. And I think John McDonnell... Yeah. Uh, um, has got a bit of that about him. He's, well, he's got of, he's got that weird. He's got very white hair, but yeah. he's got those dark eyebrows uh. that really frame the frown mm. perfectly. I mean, he's one bit like politically. I couldn't be further away from him. I guess I do have a grudge and respect for him because I think he's still politically, mentally, he's in the room. Right. Whereas Corbyn, I mean, you've seen today the election's called. Cool. He, he couldn't look happier because really he's now going to be doing what he loves doing, which is doing a rally in Norwich. Yeah. You know, trying well, to the same... his name. Yeah, you know, and saying the same things. Essentially. I mean, at least with McDonald, he's trying to adapt to the world as it is. Whereas mm. Corbyn, he's literally saying the same stuff that he said his whole political life and and he is like you know he's like one of those comedians that can only do well with their audience but you get him out there you know right. in a weekend comedy club and, and you know, they doesn't well. he doesn't fancy what about Joe Swinson because like last mm. two Lib Dems I've had you know we have a tent down in Westminster that we get people into from time to time yeah both of them one was a woman one was a bloke both of them asked me to temper my language because they didn't like some of the words I was using and I said well I'm not having you telling me to do that but do you get from like from if you're going to attack somebody like Joe Swinson do you have to be careful that you're not come somehow being sexy or, you know, offending her in some way. Well, you mean you comment... I mean, the thing is, I've noticed how she dresses, but it's a weird time where to say that, I mm. think, and in a positive way, I think she wears some brilliant statement necklaces. Yeah, she does. <laughs> necklaces have become a big thing, haven't they? <laughs> Theresa May used to wear these ridiculously, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of medieval-looking, torture-style necklaces. I mean, I don't want this to go all got one, but I would say that she has nailed her look. Yeah. Um, her politics, on the other hand, you know, <laughs> the, par- the paradoxes that are at the heart of the Lib Dem project. One thing I've noticed with her recently is she's definitely a leader now because she's speaking a lot slower. slower. Also, <laughs> something very odd has happened to her accent because she used to be Scottish, yes. right? Now, I was watching her last night on uh, either Sky or Channel 4, I can't remember, and her accent at one point kind of veered between Scottish, Irish, English... She was pre- sort of she like was... Tom Cruise in Far Far Away. Yeah, you know, that film yeah, it was almost Gilbert. that bad. That was <laughs> it's almost that bad. And she's suddenly you're kind of going, where are you from, really? You know, I think she's trying to get that kind well, of then, home counties thing. But going then on. you look at the Lib Dems; they're quite a strange project currently. They're like one of those football teams that only pick up players on a free transfer. Yeah. You know, once a, a player's unsettled at another right. party, they'll bring them in, and right. 
They'll do the so press. Granite Xhaka will be joining him any day now. Yeah, yeah, it'll be one. Well, she's sort of like journeyman, like a Teddy Sheringham, yes. you know, uh, figures that yeah. they tend to get. And I also think that the weird, we don't know much about their domestic agenda, right? Mm. So you've got all these people that are together mainly because of Europe. Yeah. And then when when this ends one way or the other, it, I think it'll be like the lights coming on at a rave. Yeah. Then but all look around always, going, what happened always, last yeah, night? This was always the way at Lib Dem Conference as yeah. well, because they were all kind of basically crazy. And, you know, they were the sort of sandal-wearing, you know, knitted brigade, and they'd turn up and they'd have all sorts of manic, crazy views. But it didn't matter because they were never going to get anywhere. Suddenly when they got into the coalition with the Tories, it was like, oh, hello, uh, we've actually got to have some policy here. And it yeah. turned out it was all Tory policy. Well, they, and a lot of people say, you know, certainly in a local campaigning uh, sort of uh, context, they are street fighters, they are hustlers, they mm. are ruthless. Once you get down to local, because they have to be, right? Because yeah. they're, the, they're the third party. So there is this, this strange tension with the Lib Dems between their public image. I mm. mean, and also you look at their campaign. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say at this point, bollocks oh, to Brexit. Yeah. I mean, it's a political campaign. That is every bit as populist. Mm as the people that they claim to despise. And these are the party, of course, who have told me not to, uh, to moderate my language. Basically, they didn't like me saying that they, in Barcelona the people were there getting their heads cracked by the uh, Spanish police. And uh, it was Leila Moran who said to me, uh, you can't really say that, that's very violent imagery. I said, well, that's because it's very violent what's going on. Yeah. They are getting their heads cracked and I'm not going to change the way I describe that just because you don't fancy the idea of it. Well, Incredible. yeah. I mean, John McDonald was saying today about their desire to get their ministerial cars back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at some point, they've got, I mean, the thing about the Labour Party is there's no doubt about it that a lot of their policies do have quite broad support. So yeah. once they go back to that, they probably will claw back a bit. The Lib Dems will go back, have to go to their domestic agenda. Where does it sit? Because the Tories are going to be, they're going to be talking about spending a lot of money, you know, on NHS, mm -hmm. police. Where do the Lib Dems fit into that? It's a I very think they can fine maybe keep, area. Can they not keep going with the whole remaining thing for a while, though? Because even mm. after we've left, they'll want to get back in, presumably. So they'll just keep campaigning to do that, maybe. Yeah, remain, then, then they'll uh, flip. I mean, they say that they hate Brexit. I think it's sort of, it's been a lifeline. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Look, as someone who knows all about a USP would tell you, like, yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, is no, it? No, exactly. Exactly, to be against the one thing that everybody's uh, said that they should get on with. What about the SNP? They're quite sinister, aren't they? Well, I suppose about the SNP is, is again, and all the parties suffer from this to a point, is that they've got an inherent paradox. Yeah. Is they say, we really love successful unions, just not ones that you can get to by road. Right. That seems to be their project. <laughs> we like a single market, but we like to get there by ferry. Yes. Like some sort of booze cruise. Right. Uh, economically. And I think that, particularly with middle-class liberal Londoners, they give Nicola Sturgeon a very easy ride. Mm. When you remember, she's a nationalist. Right. Right? She wants to leave, in, in, intuitively, you know, implicitly, leave two unions, effectively. Yeah. They'll have to rejoin the EU. So she, she sort of stands for a lot of things that they claim to hate, but yet the way that she communicates, oh, Nic Nicola's amazing. Oh, oh yeah. well, she's so lovely. Yeah, you know, she's very reasoned. She's very, well, let's see what happens when this Alex Salmon trial comes well, up. Well, that's going to be very interesting. Apparently there's poor The other, the other thing, of course, they don't take any, any sort of ownership of the fact that they've got the lowest um, sort of record for healthcare in the entire Western world. And one of the biggest drug death uh, numbers in the Western world, and yet they're in charge of their own healthcare systems, but they blame Britain for that. Well, it'd be difficult for them if they were fully independent, because then, like you say, they would have to take full responsibility. But look at the numbers that it takes. I mean, if you look at the percentage of the SNP vote that it took to return pretty much, what was it, 56 MPs? It was. Back in 2015. Yeah. That is a sweet deal. 
I mean, if you look at how many uh, you know votes you need to get a Lib Dem elected or UKIP once upon a time, it's quite a good deal. Mm. They already punch above their weight at Westminster. So that may be where your kind of moderate Scottish voter might think, well, it's imperfect being yeah. part of Britain, but, you know, on balance But also, they're preferable. getting elected to a place they don't actually want to be in, which is very odd. They love it here now, though, Mike. They do. do. you know what I mean? They well, love who it. wants to give up the perks of Westminster, right? They love it. They love an itsu these days. <laughs> I mean, if the cameras are out, they'll be eating a bag of chips. Oh, I'll yeah. tell you, put it down, they'll be eating sort of sushi for Absolutely lunch like the rest right. of us. Now, I'm afraid we're out of time already, so uh, tell us more about... So you've taken a bit of an extension yourself, flex extension perhaps, Yes, yes, my tour extended. UK tour. But I was, you know, my Taking Liberties tour extended, but I was in control of it, unlike Britain. Right. You know, I didn't do a sort of surrender act type deal <laughs> with the promoter. But yeah, it's still going up until the middle of November. You've okay. got dates in Southampton coming up, got dates in, in Bristol, Solihull, and then in the new, new year from February to April, I'll be in Manchester, Stourport, a place called Verwood. I didn't Verwood? even know it existed. No Verwood. idea. No, no absolutely idea. no idea where that we'll is. We'll be out of Europe by then as well, so you I'll, might be able yeah, to charge oh, more money for it because obviously everybody will have less money so just charge more and I'll have to oh, pay you. Oh of course you. as the remainers tell us we'll all be scrapped we'll all be sort of milking our cats Maybe for bring nutrition some free by food then. for them as well because they won't I'll, have eaten I'll bring for in food parcels for, yeah. the, for the remainers. There you go excellent stuff <laughs> Jeff Norcott thank you very much indeed uh, it's called uh, the Taking Liberties Tour uh, go and see it uh, it's very funny and it's not about staying in the European Union either. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'll take your part. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're going to hear from Jeremy Corbyn uh, in a little while. First, though, let's talk to Jim Fitzpatrick, Labour MP for Poplar and Limehouse, a former firefighter himself, because tomorrow uh, is the big day of the publication of the Grenfell Tower report. And already um, some of the findings have leaked out to the, to the news media. Uh, the report has already been handed to some of the relatives of the victims. We'll be speaking to some of them tomorrow. Uh, once the report is actually officially made public. But basically what we do know uh, is that the official report into the tragedy uh, basically blames the London Fire Brigade for serious shortcomings and systemic failures in the way that it handled that Grenfell Tower fire, uh, which obviously uh, resulted in the deaths of many, many people, and it was an awful awful night uh, for this country. Jim, um, thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon. Obviously, it's going to be a very emotional time for, for the relatives of the victims and, and for when the report is published tomorrow. There are many people still suffering and, and still probably trying to deal with the, 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 the things that happened that night. Um, do yep. you think it's fair for the fire brigade to be kind of uh, criticised like this? Well, given that Grenfell was a catastrophic failure right across the board from uh, from government, local government, architects, engineers, designers, construction companies, and the fire service. Um, uh, everybody was going to have to take some uh, partial responsibility for the, the failure and, and obviously the, the tragedy and the, and the deaths that occurred. Um, what's difficult is that London Fire Brigade were among the first to give evidence. And the, the, the inquiries finished its phase one, 
and has produced its conclusion and recommendations and report into phase one. All the other people who had responsibility for what went on, including us here in, in Parliament, and that evidence won't be taken till later. So it's about the big picture and what we're getting at the moment is focus on one part of the picture, not the whole picture. Yes, because as some people have said, it's not the firefighters' fault that the, there was um, you know, inflammable cladding put on the tower and it's certainly not the firefighters' fault uh, for going there and risking their own lives to try and rescue people. You can blame the fire service maybe uh, for having that kind of stay put policy which obviously appeared to be very wrong-headed when there was clearly no way out for an awful lot of people. Um, but the government has also failed to act over the course of the last sort of uh, 28 months uh, in terms of actually doing anything to make sure that the cladding on all buildings is is safe, you know? Well, the failure goes back longer than 28 months, Mike. It goes back to the Lacanau House fire in Southwark in yes. 2009, where six people died, and the coroner's recommendations there weren't enacted by government. And you're absolutely right. Um, on the night at Grenfell, there were heroic efforts made by brave firefighters to rescue people. A lot of people were helped out by firefighters. Um, and those firefighters will never forget that and they will be suffering just the same as relatives will be suffering from PTSD and the rest of it. What they, what they found when they got there was something, uh, something which was unique. Um, it should never have happened because the building should never have responded and performed in that way. And in that instance, they weren't prepared for it because the stay put policy had saved lives over many, many years because when there's a fire in a high-rise, if the building performs to the standard that it is supposed to, the safest place is to stay inside your flat. Yeah. What happened at Grenfell was um, catastrophic failure because the construction methods, the materials, um, and a whole number of other things relative to the, the building itself didn't perform as it should have done, and firefighters had to try and deal with that as well as on normal firefighting operations. Yes. And, I mean, in the case of um, Hillsborough, which we saw to be a series of systemic failures, there were prosecutions launched eventually. I mean, would you see something like that happening here, uh, or would you counsel against that? Um, well, that's, um, that's very much a heavy uh, legal matter, Mike, that will be for um, uh, people much better qualified than I to determine whether or not there is... Um, criminal or manslaughter responsibilities and uh, that's partly what the inquiry is charged with doing mm. to find out what went wrong and um, where the culpability lies was there individual responsibility and can anybody be held accountable and um, because of their individual actions and and the inquiry is clearly a couple of years left to run yeah. it's only started taking evidence and they won't be able to make those key recommendations until they've heard all the evidence and then looked at the overall picture and then pinpointed exactly what went wrong why it went wrong and who if any was responsible yes and um the uh, the london fire brigade commissioner danny Cotton has been accused of remarkable insensitivity because she said she would not have done anything differently on the night, um, which is probably a statement of fact, but maybe may unwise to have been said. Well, I think what... Um, I mean, obviously, I can't speak for the, the Commissioner. She uh, She's um, able to do that for herself, and she'll probably do something tomorrow. But she's already been on camera um, in subsequent interviews uh, saying that if... 
faced with Grenfell again today without the knowledge of hindsight, then of course she, she, she would have reacted yeah. in the same way. But she's already changed a lot of policies for London Fire Brigade, including the stay put policy, because we've got the benefit of hindsight. Mm. We, now, we now know that stay put doesn't work in a whole number of situations. Therefore, that is no longer the automatic policy for fire officers, fire crews, when they turn up at buildings that are on fire. Right. And so, so although they, those were the words that she said, and she said them in all honesty, my interpretation was um, that's what she did on the night, and she would do the same again if she didn't know any different. But, of course, we all do know different now, and she has subsequently said that London Fire Brigade's procedures have been changed to take into account the experience that was Grenfell. And, of course, one of the sort of um, issues that is, is revisited upon time and time again is what to do with the actual building and the structure itself. I mean, obviously, it's now covered up um, and it has a, yeah. a, a beautiful sort of message on it. But, yeah. um, I mean, will it, will it at some point or other have to be discussed whether to keep it up there or to, to demolish it? Yeah, and, and that will be very much a matter for the, the, the relatives um, of the victims mm. as well as those who survived the, the, the tragedy. Uh, their local representatives and uh, Kensington Council. Um, th these are matters which must be uh, fully consulted with the people who are most closely affected, and they must make the decision what they want to see happen to of the course. building and the site. Yeah. Now, uh, just before we let you go, um, Jim, yeah. I want to ask you about uh, what's happened today uh, with the Westminster scenario, because Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. of course, has come out and surprised everybody by saying he now wants to have the election. He said he didn't want to have. Let's have a listen. We are ready for an election. We're going to go out there with a very strong message of how we transform our society to end inequality and injustice and deal with the devastating poverty that so many people face. We always said we wanted an election. We do want an election, but we wanted no deal to be taken off the table. We've now had confirmation from all 28 EU member states that no deal is off the table. So we're going to go out there with the biggest campaign this party has ever mounted. Totally united, totally determined, and I'm absolutely looking forward to going every part of this country with my wonderful shadow cabinet team here and all the fantastic Labour activists to give a message of hope where there isn't one with this government. Um, totally united. That'll be an interesting one, Jim. Um, I'm not quite sure what you're going to be totally united behind, are you? <laughs> well, um, fortunately, I'm out of it, mate, as you know. I'm yeah. retiring, so the, the, the news this morning means that I can uh, start packing my bags from Westminster and check in what I need to keep in the office. Um, it is a bit of a surprise, but of course... Um, it was always going to be thus because Jeremy's been calling for an election uh, intensely since um, Prime Minister Johnson was elected by the Conservative Party and no deal being off the table, he really didn't have anywhere else to go. So I think um, the decision at some point was inevitable, but it's now happened. Yes, and will they be the party of Remain, do you think, during this election? I guess they will be apart from in places where people voted to leave. Well, uh, the, the policy is that uh, Labour will be the party of second referendum, yeah. um, that we want to negotiate a better deal and that that will then be put back to the people. So Lib Dems will be saying revoke um, and therefore remain. Conservatives will be saying honour the referendum and, uh, and leave with a, with a deal. And Labour will be saying, well, we've not really made the decision yet because we think we can get a better deal. So it's going to be a fascinating time. Um, how are things in the Labour Party at the moment as far as the whole kind of, you know, Keir Starmer stroke Tom Watson stroke uh, Jeremy Corbyn axis goes? I mean, Tom's survived. Um, they tried to get rid of him. It didn't work. Um, presumably the Corbyn agenda is the agenda they'll be fighting on. 
Yeah, and uh, the party will get behind the uh, domestic um, manifesto, which is always the territory that it wanted to move on to. Brexit has got to be got out of the way. Um, there are very important issues like the health service, like benefits, um, like welfare, um, rough sleepers and levels of poverty. Um, and these are the issues that um, Labour wants to fight the election on. And, and it will be hoping that it can actually uh, discuss these items um, because these are the issues that Labour is strong on. Absolutely. Jim, thanks very much for joining us. Jim Fitzpatrick, Labour MP for Poplar and uh, Limehouse, telling us there that uh, he's retiring, uh, so he won't be back. He will be sadly missed. He's one of the few uh, voices of sanity uh, that has maintained that voice over the course of the last few months while this madness has been all around us, I have to say. Uh, we'll certainly miss him. Maybe we'll get him in here a few times to tell us what he thinks of the new uh, brigade that take over. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344 We might be able to squeeze a couple more calls in before the end of the show, but I'm delighted to say we're rejoined by Emma Hammett, CEO of First Aid for Life. Emma, welcome back. Thank you very now, much. Now, you've already been here showing me how to use a defibrillator. You've shown me how to revive, revive a dog uh, if it's choking. So I feel as if you're my sort of lucky charm uh, for things <laughs> that may or may not go wrong. Now, coming up to kind of fireworks season, I suppose, we're sort of already in it. I was driving up... Uh, back to London on Sunday night and there was loads of fireworks going off all around the sort of A2 around South East London because it's also Diwali mm -hmm. and people around about sort of mid-October just start letting off fireworks, don't they? They do. And then there's antisocial use of fireworks as well. Right. And we it's interesting because this is the first year, I think, that Sainsbury's have stopped selling them and just said we're not going to do it anymore. Is there a move, do you think, towards just kind of organised displays rather than people putting them off in their back garden? It's undoubtedly safer. And there's been a big push from the Association of Plastic Surgeons. And so because, I mean, there's over a thousand injuries yeah. in this couple of weeks period right. every year. And that's injuries that require hospital treatment. Yeah. So, not so there's only, other injuries that probably we don't even find out yeah, about. Yeah, that you just run under cool running water yeah. and, and you get on with. Right. And what sort of injuries would you say is the, are the most common? You know, because presumably most parents would not really let their kids anywhere near fireworks. I mean, certainly when I used to do a, a few sort of fireworks in the garden, I'd set them off far enough away from the house and make sure the kids were standing a long way away. We don't really do it anymore now because we've got a dog. So, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of a thing of the past. But, I mean, people don't think of sparklers as fireworks. And actually, sparklers get as, as hot as a blowtorch. Right. And there's about 500 injuries or children admitted or needing hospital treatment mm. every year from sparklers. Right. And we give them to tiny tots and we say, here, wave them around. Yeah. And they are holding... Basically, something some, yeah, something like a blowtorch. I mean, I'm, again, I, I don't wish to make out that I'm sort of God's gift to children, but I mean, I used to always make them wear gloves yeah, so that just start. in case they did touch something, at least they would have gloves on. But what they don't understand as well is that they're still hot for yeah. a long time afterwards. Right. So it's about having a bucket of sand, for example, yeah. to put or them water, in. Or water, maybe? Yeah, but sand's particularly good because it's not going to move around so much yeah. and you know where it is. Okay. Whereas the bucket of water can get kicked over yes. and stuff. And so put them in there, then they're safely out of harm's way mm. when you've when you've used them. Okay. And supervise the children. So quite often they're all dancing around, waving them around. If they get close to another child or, or you yeah. know, something flammable. Yeah. 
Well, again, it's all about telling them that they're actually doing something which is quite dangerous without scaring them and just saying, you know, look, be responsible. You know, do not act the goat, as we used to say, uh, and my father used to say to me, just, you know, act sensibly. Absolutely, but I think if think very carefully if you're if you've got under fives. Mm. Yes. Because they may not understand and and you know, however hard you say think sensibly, we all know that, you know, brains don't develop that sort of right. um, risk awareness yeah. until, you know, into their 20s. And they do get very excited. I mean, I remember when I was, a, when I was a kid at school that uh, the kids, boys would turn up sort of 13, 14-year-olds with bangers mm. and would throw them around. You don't tend to see so much of that going on now. But, I mean, I was, I, I was at home the other day and there was some very loud fireworks going off, which looked like just in the next sort of next garden over. Um, and it's credit they, they seem more noisy now somehow. Yeah, and they shouldn't be because there's a big push to bring them down from 120 decibels down to down to 97. Yeah. Because at 120 decibels, they cause animals physical pain. Right. Um, and the poor animals haven't got a clue what's no. going on. And what they, are you supposed to do? What's the best thing to do with a, with a dog or a cat or whatever other animal you may have? Well, there's all sorts of things you can do and people have different advice. But I would say... Um, stick, stay as calm as you can so that they're not picking up on your anxiety. Mm. Give them somewhere to hide, yeah. particularly cats, and um, they like to hide. Under a bed or something like yeah, that. Yeah, somewhere somewhere that's safe and that's cushioned. Yeah. So even the outside animals, give them a bit of extra bedding and right. place that they can go. Right. Perhaps try feeding them with um, sort of a nice high-carbohydrate meal a little bit earlier than you would so mm. they're a little bit more sleepy. Okay. Close the curtains, put the radio put the radio or the TV on as a bit of background noise um, and just keep things as calm as you can. And if you feel they're getting stressed, then look at their mood. I mean, sometimes cats don't like to be stroked, Mm. for example, if they like to be off on their own. Make sure that um, your cat in particular is is microchipped so that if they bolt, you have a good chance of getting them back. And be careful because there is a a great rise in um, animals being hit by cars at this time because they get scared Mm. and they don't look. They just take off, yeah. (laughs) They just take off. And so, I mean, do you see like what Sainsbury's have done as maybe the the, the future? Do you think other other shops will, will cease selling fireworks? I think I think there is a push. There's enough big displays, certainly in London, but uh, around and about, there are also a lot of big displays. There yeah. is no doubt that it is safest to go to an organised yes. display and to have, you know, your proper... People laugh about health and safety, but, you know, these are explosives. These are, these are I think, a place where health and safety actually is quite important. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not so mad about health and safety in every regard, but yeah. when, as you say, somebody's setting fire to something and then blowing it up, I think you'd want to be quite safe, wouldn't you? Well, it's like if you, you know, if people have a firework display in their own garden, they need to make sure they're buying sensible fireworks. Yes. Sensible in terms of a British safety standard, but also sensible in terms of look at the size of the firework and the size of yeah. your garden and do you have overhanging branches yeah. and things. And what about bonfires? I mean, do people have bonfires as well, do you think? I don't think people have as many bonfires. Mm. I think there's there's more with the sort of Clean, clean Air Act and, and, and things. I think that has become a little less or a little more antisocial. Yes, right, um, OK. But in terms of in parks and things, people have them. Yeah. And I remember my son, um, a lovely firework display we had, and they put firecrackers in the bonfire. Oh, and God. He went. Right. He shot across Tooting Common <laughs> faster than we could we could catch him. Yeah, right. Um, you know, this sort of four-year-old that suddenly saw this whole thing explode in front of him. Wow. And so, you know, not only your 
your your pets, but also your children. Well, it can be. I mean, the noise can be quite frightening, as I say. I mean, in, and certainly in Sussex, where I am, I mean, they start quite early because they celebrate in Hastings, for example. The, the big firework display is on the anniversary of the Battle of Hastings, which is like around about October the 14th. And so from that point on, there are then firework displays in various villages, probably for the best part of the next six weeks, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of it going on. And I love fireworks. Fireworks are great. They're so pretty. And, yeah. But they are distressing for an awful lot of people. So I think people should be sensitive to that. Uh, I think it it is a good move that that saying that they're not as widely mm. available as as they were because certainly around us there was antisocial behaviour happening yeah. and quite right. menacing behaviour using fireworks yeah. as as weapons. And again, going back to people setting off fireworks and doing silly things. If you've got the person running the firework display who's had a few drinks. Yeah. They're not as with Never it. Never a good idea. <laughs> Never a good idea. And storing fireworks in your pocket, definitely a no-no. No, absolutely <laughs> right. Well, listen, thank you as ever. Emma Hammett, CEO of First Aid for Life. If you are going to have a firework display in your garden, uh, just be sensible. Don't do anything stupid. Um, don't buy fireworks that are way too big for the, uh, the occasion. And if your kids are going to be there, make sure they're covered up and, you know, you've got some sand and some water and all sorts of other things. And right? ideally they can watch it from inside the house yeah. while you've just got one person out. Yeah. We've got a whole um, article on our blog that okay. people can have a look at, which right. has sensible advice for both pets and humans. OK, great. And where is that? First Aid for Life? .org.uk. .org.uk. Emma, thank you very much indeed. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.